Hey, this is Mark. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know that after a couple of years of thinking about it and wanting to do it, I'm in a place where I'm ready to expand my practice to support couples. So if you're a person who is familiar with me, familiar with my work, and has confidence that I'd be able to help, and if you're in a place in your relationship where you could use some support, you may want to get in touch. I'm opening up some spots on Tuesday evenings, so that's got to be a fit for you if you'd like to get this kind of help. And if not, then don't worry, later I'm sure there will be other spots available. But if you already know me, like me, trust me, if you want some support in your relationship, and if you think you have time on Tuesday evenings, you can send me an email at mark at markbutler.com, and we'll talk about it. Now, as always, be warned that my email response time usually varies somewhere between 60 seconds and two weeks. So after you send the email, be patient. You will hear back from me. You'll either hear that I'm excited to talk with you or that the three spots that I've opened have already been uh, filled. But in either case, you will hear back from me sooner or later. Thanks for your patience in advance. I'm very excited to start helping couples. I think this is some of the most important work that any practitioner, any helper can do is to strengthen and support people in their relationships. So if that sounds like it could be a fit for you, get in touch, mark at markbutler.com. And with that, Let's see what's in this episode. Hey, this is a podcast for coaches, and I am Mark Butler. I wanted to share an interview with you that I recorded well over a year ago with my friend Amber Smith. Amber's a coach who has experimented with lots of different business models, and she's had some success in all of them. But one of the places where Amber and I have connected is in the fact that she is so committed to and so skilled in one on one coaching. She has an incredible voice for this work. She has great insight. She's a student of the work that we all do. And I love her perspective. And I've been so excited to share it with you. So I dug this recording out of my archives. I cleaned it up, gave it some light editing, got Amber's permission. And with her permission, I'm sharing it with you today. Her name is Amber Smith. You can find her at www.itsambersmith.com. And she's on Instagram at itsambersmith. So without further ado, here's my conversation from late 2022 with my friend, Amber Smith. You're a coach. Yep. You're a coach who does a variety of things. That's part of why I wanted to chat with you other than I just like you and respect you. But the background I'm going to give on Amber is that I've known Amber for, or known of Amber for a while, known Amber for a while. And when Kate and I, Kate, my wife, and I interacted with you almost a year ago now, was it almost a year ago? I don't know. I don't know when it was. Kate said she could coach you. And Kate never says that. Kate, ha- to be clear, Kate has never said that. And I trust Kate's instincts about people way more than I trust my own instincts about people. And so I respect you. I respect your work. And I think you have a lot to say to the people whose attention I have. The thing we actually, I, I want to make sure we don't miss this is that I want to talk to you about one-on-one client creation. Yeah. Because I think that's how you say it, don't you? Yeah, I do use the word create, one-on-one clients. Which I want to hear about. And then I imagine as we talk about that, we'll, we'll find our way into other topics. Yeah. Talk to me about one-on-one client creation. What, just what comes to mind when I even give you that, that mini prompt? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is a story to like demonstrate what I'm talking about. I have three girls. I coach their t-ball team. 
don't know if we've talked about this story, you and I, but it's relevant to creating one-on-one clients. And I'm sitting at this t-ball game and another mom was there and she's like, so what do you do? And, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm a coach. And she goes, oh, like, like Jen Sincero, who wrote You Are a Badass. Oh, and I was like, funny. Yeah, like, Keep it like straight that. there. Yeah. Like she had just finished the book. And uh-huh. so it was on her mind. Right. And I'm like, yeah, kind of like that. And she's like, that's so cool. And I was like, yeah. So what do you do? And she's like, I'm a real estate agent. And I'm like, that's so cool. How's it going? And she's like, really good. It was she's in Utah. So back in the day, <laughs> you know, let's see, this was in 20. In the 2020, maybe 2021. Anyway, and she was like, it's going good. Like, things are awesome. I, I'm, I'm selling a lot of houses. And I'm like, cool. And so I just kind of chatted back and forth about her business. And she's like, well, like, tell me more about like this coaching thing, you know, just in conversation. And so I was like, yeah, well, I talk to people. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, it's a lot about, you know, just mindset, creating the life you want, overcoming what you think is limiting you. And she's like, yeah. I really need that. I, I, I think we should talk about what it might look like to, to coach. And I was like, yeah, maybe like we can talk about it maybe next week. Okay. But did she you know? really and go uh, straight like, there? Okay, great. I, did she really go straight to, she wanted I to really know if that, we should talk because she had just read the book, right? She's yeah. like, well, what would it look like for me to be like coached? Like, does, do you coach people like me? Cause like we yeah. had kind of just talked. Yeah. And I didn't really like feel like it was appropriate to be like, yeah, let me coach you. And I was like, well, we can talk about it more next week, like what it might be like, you know, because she had admitted that she was trying to get into luxury real estate. And so I kind of like was talking about what it means. Like, I think I used the big leap as an example of something. We were talking for like 40 minutes. Like it was like it was a coaching conversation. I didn't call it that, but it was totally a coaching conversation. But my husband had been like kind of, I don't know, not like eavesdropping but kind of just right there and he was like why didn't you like sell her coaching like she obviously wants it and I'm like that's not how clients are made (laughs) she's Mm. not actually quite ready she's interested right now you know she's she thinks it's really cool because she just read this book but like I don't know if she's ready to actually like talk about coaching together and he's like okay he's like watch he just couldn't understand it so then the next week we're at t-ball and she's like I can't stop thinking about our conversation like I cannot stop, can I? I cannot stop thinking about it. I really want to do luxury real estate. I'm nervous. I think what you talked about with like self concept is really important. And I was like, yeah, like I'm really glad it was helpful. Would you want to like schedule like an official coaching call where we like actually like I show you what I do in like real life, not at the t ball game, but like we can schedule a real call. And then we did. So it was like a month later, but she ended up hiring me. And I feel like the process that it went through. I think I had a little bit of an advantage because she had just finished that book from a coach, right? So yeah. it's fresh on her mind. Yep. But even if it wasn't, just like we started as friends and she be like I created her into a client, but not like I wasn't like at the T ball game being like, Hey, I'm a coach, like come work with me. You know, it's a very natural progression. Yeah. yeah. You were yeah, not handing out flyers. Little little billboard. Here's here's one of the many things that fascinates me about this. In in an earlier episode of this podcast, I talk about how I think content's main job in a one-on-one coaching business is to create a very soft landing for people into your world. But it did not occur to me that other people's content could create a soft landing into your world. And that's what Jen, Jen Sincero's book did for you that day. Yep. So there is something to be said there about how I'll be curious to have you comment comment on this, but I do have the belief that if someone has any sort of context whatsoever 
as it relates to coaching, then they are miles ahead of a person who doesn't have that context when it's time to engage them in a coaching conversation. What, what do you think about that? What would you add to that? Yeah, I agree. I think I would have approached the conversation a lot different if she had never heard of coaching. It'd be a very much gentler conversation. Um, because it was front of mind, she had just finished the book. I think it was it was different. She already had her soft landing into the coaching. But I've had conversations with people who know nothing about coaching. Yeah. And they are like, so what is it? And it's funny because I think you and I have prob probably have similar, well, you talk to people. Like, like we talk. <laughs> we talk. That's and then I ask questions and they say things and mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And the, the best thing that I think I offer people is like, well, let me just like, what if we just coached? It's, it's hard to talk about in theory. Like, what if I just showed you what that's like? Do you call it something in your own mind? Do you call it a consultation? Do you call it a, what do you call it? It's, it depends on who I talk to right now. I call it a chat. Uh -huh. <laughs> you want to chat about working together? Like, especially if it's someone that's, that's been in my world for a while. If it's a coach, often they will say, can we have a consultation? Yes. And that's fine. In my mind, I don't think of it as a consultation because I think you and I think similarly about this. I'm not looking to close a sale. I'm looking to open a relationship with this person. So it's not always even a consultation. It's like, let's see if we even like talking to each other, <laughs> you know? You just triggered my memory of what you were saying to me when we were together a couple of weeks ago about different types of gardeners. And I was telling you, I have yeah. an episode of this show about gardening. So don't let me forget. I want to yeah. come back to that, but I want to go back to the moment where you're talking the first conversation you're having with this realtor, because your, your story from your husband, I think really contrasts, it demonstrates the two sides of a coach's brain. It just happened that your husband was one half of that brain and you were the other half. Yeah. I think it illustrates a struggle that so many coaches deal with in the moment of the conversation, which is as you're talking with her and she says to you, oh, you mean like Jensen Chero, that kind of coaching? How in that moment do you not jump straight to a transactional attitude of, oh, I could probably get, quote, get a client right now? Because that's where yeah. your husband's brain went. And that's where so many yeah. of our friends and clients' brains go. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is like I first offered to get her in touch with other coaches. Like I didn't think of myself as like her coach. Okay. Because I didn't know. Like I, I didn't know. I don't assume that I'm everyone's coach. I don't walk into a room and be like, I can coach everyone. Like you're my, you're my potential client. Like the word that I've heard other people describe other, other coaches that do this is like poaching. Like, I'm out to get you as a client. Uh, and that's just not my style. And it feels creepy to be so people might, by a coach, you know? Some people might say to you, Amber, oh, but Amber, if, if your first thought is that maybe I could help her find a coach, somebody might say to you, but well, don't you value yourself? Aren't you, aren't you confident in your coaching? Why are you trying to send her elsewhere? What, what would be your reply? Yeah. So I actually, I listened to your episode, the new, your newest one, just to kind of get a feel for what you've been talking about. And you said something that I resonate with. I'm almost always fully booked. I'm, I'm not needing clients and fully booked based on like what you said, like based on my inventory, right? I have nine, I have eight one-on-one -on -one clients right now. And that feels really good to me. I think at the time when I was talking to her, I maybe had five or six, but that felt full to me. It's not like 
I'm out there looking. And so in my first inclination was like, I just want to help this person. It might, you know, it might be some like someone I know. It might be a real estate coach that like only coaches real estate agents. And so I do value my coaching, but I don't also, it's like that juxtaposition of like, I also don't need clients. As you heard me say in in that episode, and as you're saying now, it, it's, I find it easier to generate that confidence when I am quote unquote fully booked. Do you remember feeling any differently when you weren't fully booked or what did you do back then to generate that sort of peace and confidence to take into those interactions with people? Yeah, I was coaching. Like I was having conversations often. Mm. And I think one of the things that I don't think enough coaches do, we can talk. I'm curious what your thoughts are about this, but I like positioned it, especially as a newer coach is like, you're helping me. Oh like, yeah. Okay. If you say yes to coaching, like you're helping me get experience, especially as a new coach, which I don't see very many people doing that. No. But like, that's where I, so I had a goal to coach a hundred people for free. And I let my whole like, okay, yeah, like this is how I started. Got started. Sorry, I'm like, laughing because to... literally, it, so this episode hasn't been published, but literally yesterday, I was I was doing an interview with another client of mine. We were talking along these same lines, and I said, I I have this this urge to invite coaches to do 100 conversations. So this is just <laughs> yeah. for those of you listening. Amber and I often laugh about how we seem to run into the same thoughts, often independent yes. of each other, but. Yeah, that hundred conversations thing and yeah. the thing of where you're in you're acknowledging that they're really helping you in those early days. Yeah. In another episode, I talked about how when <laughs> sometimes when people say I'm considering this ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollar mastermind and they're very early in their business, I'll say, Hey, instead, buy a hundred gift cards and pay people to let you coach them with those gift cards. Yeah. Get yourself in, plant a bunch of seeds do a lot of practicing, become a better listener, become interested in people. It, it, I feel like it creates this inevitability of, of, of success. If you'll do that. sounds like you did it. I did. Well, and one of the questions I get is like, well, how do you become a masterful coach? Cause like a lot of clients are interested in how I coach. And I'm like, well, I've coached so many people. That's how you, you can't skip the part where you coach people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I went right into it. I think I was gifted the opportunity of like, I didn't really have anyone in my ear at this time. I hadn't found any podcasts. I didn't find Rich Litvin yet. Like I, mm. who's like a, a, one of my mentors, I would consider him. I didn't find like the life coach school. I didn't know any coaches. I just like stumbled on it. And so I just was like, I think the best way to do it is to get people to say yes, which means it has to be like them helping me. Because I know that people are more inclined to help than like, oh, I'll like I want coaching. They don't even know what coaching is. I barely knew what coaching was, right? Mm -hmm. And so I positioned it like you're helping me if you jump on this call. And I tried to get a hundred. I didn't because eventually people were like, how do we keep doing this? I want to do this again. Can we keep talking? And so I got actually got my first like ten clients doing that. One of the reasons you are a fascinating character in my in my mind is that. You just said, I didn't have anyone in my ear yet. Now, I know you to be a great student of coaching and a student of psychology and, and mm -hmm. self-personal development. I know you to be a great student of all these things, but I also know you to be a person who is not, I don't think I've said this to you before, but you are not in a hurry to join a particular 
group, a dogma. Yeah. You you strike me as more confident than most people in your willingness to sort of make your own way through the development of your business and your development as a person, as a coach. Yeah. How, how did that happen? Part of it was like, I've always just been an avid reader. So like if you, I'm like looking at my desk right now, like I have a book like called Living Untethered. I have a book, The Prosperous Coach, which I keep on my desk, but I also have like a Buddhism book and a sto like the Daily Stoic and Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Like yeah. I think I study a lot of different ideas so I don't have a dogma about coaching I, I think that there's lots of different ways I also came from the world of psychology so I think I was just exposed to a lot of different teachers on personal development self-help transformation and so I think that's just kind of how I started yeah and you I mean you seem not to feel any particular FOMO about like you don't know did you ever do you ever have FOMO about, um, oh, my peers are joining this thing or my friends? Are, did, is there ever a sense of, in you of like, oh, I don't really want to miss that? Or or do you just feel very sort of at rest? I'm at rest. I'm at peace. Hmm. I don't join things even for like the, I've joined, like I've been a mastermind, but I joined for very specific reasons. I didn't join to be part of the club, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Or like to be part of the group. I joined for specific reasons for my per business development, right? It's like yeah. not social. Yes. It's interesting. It's not typical in my experience. It's not typical. Okay. I'm going to go back to the realtor at the T-ball game. Yeah. So in the moment that you're talking with her, you're able to stay out of a transactional attitude. You're not viewing her as dollar signs. Yeah. In the intervening week, before the next t-ball game is she on your mind do you have any inkling to reach out to her or or is well, she funny is she gone from your mind yeah i got busy but my husband brought it up a couple of times because he doesn't know he doesn't really know what i do so he sees this this like opportunity and he's like well are you gonna talk to her and i'm like like what do you mean he's like are you gonna like message her on instagram or something and i'm like no <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> I'll see her at T-Ball. And if she asks about it, we'll talk about it again. Because I think one of the other thing that I think you and I both have in common is like, I study myself. Like, I'm very interested in why, how, like, why do I hire the people that I hire? Why do I study the things that I study? Why did I hire my first coach? Why did I hire my next coach? Like, and pressure, that's never why I bought something. And if I ever feel pressure, I'm out. Yeah. So I never want to give the experience of pressure to a potential or just, I wouldn't even like the word potential client, like even just a connection, a person, a friend. So I never even, really thought even about the, her that week. Even the phrase potential client colors your, your view of her, your attitude about her. You, you've, it, look, I don't think either one of us would say it's the end of the world to call someone a potential client, but it may no. hint at it may hint at a transactional attitude that may not serve the relationship. Yeah. Well, and if people ask me like, which of these people in your list is a potential client that wouldn't really resonate with me? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yes. That's actually really, 
really well said. The next week at the T-ball game, she brought it back up. Were you surprised that she brought it back up? I was because in my mind, I'm like, she's a busy woman. Like it might have been interesting in the moment. I also know that emotions, like it's just interesting how people, what people say when they're emotional. Like she was excited, right? She had just finished this book. She met a real life coach, which is so funny because when we get in the coaching industry, we think we're such like a dime a dozen, but that's not how other people experience us, right? They're like, wow, so interesting. And so she, like her emotions were really high. So I just didn't really, if I saw her again, I wasn't even going to bring it up. Like I was just going to let the conversation roll. And it did just roll. We eventually, like in the beginning, we were talking about our kids and the game. We weren't even talking about business. And then she brought it up. Like, I can't stop thinking about our conversation that we had last week. Yeah. You said you invited her then to a coaching call, a coaching interaction. And I know you're, uh, I don't know if at the time you were, you were sort of using a prosperous coach kind of approach, but I do know that when you interact with people, it tends to be purely a coaching interaction. So then you set up a time to talk with her. Did you do that on Zoom? How long did it yep. last? What was the, yeah, so what was the rough Zoom. content of the conversation? Yeah. So yeah, I've been doing the prosperous coach approach since mm, 2019, I think is when I read the book and I just, it just like landed for me really well. So I like, like a lot of my clients, I invented a program for her on the spot like i think that this is what would make sense for you the context of the conversation was about her self-concept as a luxury real estate agent fun story that story has a fun ending she like sold 16 million dollars worth of real estate last quarter luxury real estate which is cool right very cool (laughs) yeah not like i don't think i wouldn't like be like because of my coaching but like there was that happy we're not coaching together anymore there was a period of time where like it felt very daunting to her to embody or be a luxury real estate agent. Yep. And that's really what was on her mind. That's what she wanted. And so that was the whole context of the conversation of what would that be like? What connections do you have? What would you have to stop believing about yourself? Very coachy type questions. And I think it really challenged her. I think a lot of people who aren't in personal development at least the way coaches tend to be like that, just that conversation alone was very mind blowing for her. Almost no one is doing this kind of introspection. Yeah. I mean, almost no one. And it's, I'm, I'm very curious as, as to why I don't go to the idea that like, Oh, because people are broken or because they're bad or something. I'm not sure why no one's statistically speaking, almost no one is doing this kind of introspection, but when you invite them to it and they're prepared, it is mind blowing. I find it mind blowing and I've been doing it for years with my own coaches. It's still mind blowing. Yeah. In the, in the coach, in that initial coaching interaction, it's okay if you don't remember details, but for you, how does that, how does that individual interaction evolve and how does it sort of end? What is the last five or 10 minutes of that phone call sound like, or that zoom call sound like? Yeah. So I, th- I think the way that I operate is I'm not going to sell. I think that was another important thing that I don't even get on coaching calls or uh, some people call them consult calls with like the intention to sell. I don't always make an offer on those kinds yeah. of calls, depending on how it goes, because I don't like that's an, that's a pretty big assumption. That like they want to talk about working together because all I did was invite her to a more formal coaching call. Mm hmm. 
where we could talk more. I had, I kind of, I had like an inkling that she might ask what it would be like just because, because of our other pr two previous conversations. So we talked, you know, about her self-concept, what she wants, kind of like in the Prosperous Coach, she talks about like the default future versus the possible future. And I made mm. a case for her possible future and just was really honest about what I saw that like, I'm like, I think you're already this person because she was. <laughs> and so I think some of her thoughts about her doubt and just, you know, who am I to do that? There's already people doing that in Utah kinds of things. You know, and, another, um, another coach might not have wanted to tell her that she's already that person. Another coach might have wanted to hold that because if I tell her she's already that person, maybe she'll decide she doesn't need to coach with me. If I, if I somehow plant the seed that she could be, but is not yet that person, yeah. then I'm creating an incentive for her to sign up with me, quote unquote. Yeah. You didn't do that. You didn't hold that back. Yeah. Why not? I think I caught something that you said. You said she might not feel the need to hire me. And that's, I think, another strong underlying belief that I have that people can feel. I think you have this too, is that I don't need her to sign. I actually don't think anyone needs to hire me. Yeah. No one needs a coach. So she doesn't. No one needs a coach. No we, one like needs a the coach, people who get the most want one. And I think the people who get the most out of it just want it. Yeah. I give credit to Rich Litvin for that line. I don't know if I'm quoting him correctly, but I've walked around for years now with the idea that no one needs a coach, but some people want one. And that yeah. is sufficient. I can, around that one idea, I can build an amazing practice, amazing relationships, be part of amazing results. Yep. Another thing you said was, I'm not going to say she did that because of my coaching. And I know you mean that. You don't think she sold 16 million in the last quarter because of your no. coaching. No, but you did participate. I, I was... Yeah. So I, but like, I think of coaching like a tool, right? Like if someone picks up a hammer and builds a house, the hammer didn't build the house. Hmm. The person picked up a tool. She was, a, she made it happen because partially because she hired a coach to help her, partially because she already had the innate skill set. She takes great care of her clients. She was already giving people a luxury experience long before she was ever a luxury, luxury real estate agent, right? She already like saw, like I would call it wealth consciousness, like she already had it. Like I wasn't lying to her on the call where I was like, I already see you as this person. Like that was just me reflecting something that I saw. It wasn't like paying lip service. Yep. And so it was already in her. So to me, it's not surprising that she's killing it. She already had it. It's fascinating. It's, it's so, is it even, I was about to say it's counterintuitive, but I'm actually not sure. I think it is counterintuitive. I think it's intuitive, but most of what we do acts against that intuition. I agree. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think we're so prone to going against that inner peace that drives your way of being with her and with other clients? Hmm. That's a good question. I think partially what we talked about earlier about being students a lot of coaches are students and they listen to one piece of advice and take it as law mm. whereas like i think you and i both are have like a healthy skepticism about things yeah <laughs> where it's like nothing's law so does that fit for me like there are laws but not in what we do <laughs> right and so 
Like, do I have to overcome objections? Should I not coach on a consult call? Do I have to sell right away? All of those things that I'm like, those don't align with, those don't feel good in my body to right. do that. That it feels unnatural to me. And I think a lot of what people feel like they need to do is unnatural to them. And they're like, well, it's wrong. What, the way that I feel naturally is wrong because so-and-so said this, or this is how it worked for so-and-so. Instead of like checking in, like, how does this feel to me? And I think I've always done, this was what feels right to me. Yeah. An unfortunate thing can happen in this world of, of personal development, of coaching, can be that people in positions of leadership, people in positions of influence, maybe in large part because of their own anxieties and feeling like they have to get other, quote, get other people results, they bring urgency and anxiety into what they're teaching. Also, I do have an opinion that uh, with training programs in particular, many training programs, we have to build complexity into them so there's a reason to buy them. Yeah. Because if I want to create a training program and the training program is have conversations, listen to your, as you put it, listen to the feelings in your body, trust your intuition, repeat. It's not much of a training program. There's not, a, there's not, there's, you know, that's a one page ebook. It's a one paragraph ebook. So sometimes I think complexity comes in because without that complexity, there's, there's not much to put into my course that I'm trying to sell. If mm -hmm. I am trying to sell a course. Yeah, I, it's going to justify what I want to charge for it and why it's important. Yeah. So I can say the three steps I always use or five keys to blah or whatever. It's not that I think those courses never have merit or value. But as you said, I want to bring a, a healthy skepticism to it so that I'm always staying in tune with my own feelings, my own sense of what's right and natural. Yeah. And then being very careful about which things I pick up from other people and which things I, I just leave on the side. Yeah. Because I think that some people don't even have that filter. They're just like, well, this person said this, so this must be the way. Yeah. Oh, I had the most fascinating client, client call yesterday where I'm be, be thoughtful about how I share any of these details. I was on a call with a marketing client's marketing person and the client and the marketing, the client was referring to another business and saying that business seems amazing. And the marketing person did what I've done so many times as the CFO guy. He, he said, look, I've had conversations with that team from that company and basically not all that glitters is gold. Yeah. What it looks like on the outside is not what's going on on the inside. And he said to her, your business is stronger, healthier, and more profitable than that business. Yeah. He basically said it's a Lamborghini body on a Toyota Corolla, basically. And so it's so easy for me included. I think I I think I've developed you know my ability to to not fall into this trap anymore, but it's so easy to fall into the trap of it looks right, it sounds right. It must be right. It It's sort of ticking all my lower brain boxes. And so it must be right. And I'm trying to, and I know you are too, I'm trying to get people to just raise their sensitivity and their awareness of what really might be going on. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the questions that I, I think you and I talked about this when we were at the conference, but like 
do you want to be a CEO? I don't know if we use these words, but did you want to be a CEO? Or did you want to have powerful conversations with people? Yeah. Not that CEOs don't, it's just their job title is different, right? A training business is a lot of CEO work versus like one of the things that I got into this for and one of the things that I love about it is having powerful conversations with real people, one-to-one. Yeah. yeah. And if that's your goal, there's there's not a whole lot to it. I mean, there's a lot no. to it, but the steps can be written on a on a three-by-five note card pretty much. How do you think I you're you're a mom, you said you have three girls. Your kids are young, are they not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 6, 4 and 2. I know you're very thoughtful and intentional about your work day and your work week. Mm-hmm. Will you describe it and your and your thoughts around it? Yeah, so I I only work like I have a fuller day Monday and Wednesday. But like even on my work days, I go to pick them up from school. So it's like I'm not working the whole day. I do lunch with them. Uh, that was always important to me. So I work Mondays and Wednesdays. This week was weird. I have you and then I have another client. Anyway, this is an anomaly. This is not super common, but my nanny's here today. And I'm always mindful of the lifestyle, which is why I love one-on-one coaching. I think most people, it's like you get to decide when you work and when you don't, who you take and who you don't, like what vacations you take. and You know what I mean? The freedom. So that was always important to me. And I think I backed into coaching that way because when I started coaching, I had basically a two-year-old, no, not even a two-year-old, like a one-year-old and a baby. So, so I was you've like, come through, I, you've come through, I mean, you've got toddler, you've got infant, you've had a pregnancy, another mm-hmm. infant, now toddler, now a kindergartner. You've been through yeah. all these phases while building your business. Yeah. How, how was that for you? Where did you feel? friction where did you feel tension what was it like i think the tension is between like my ambition and my like almost like the zen i'm like a very like zen person so like like my desire to live a very simple innately beautiful life that's like kind of private i've always liked that and so the tension was like how do i achieve my dreams and like do what I want to do. I thought I was going to be a therapist. I don't know if we talked about that, but I always thought I would be like working with people. Yeah. And I wanted a career that I could be home with my kids. So like I work probably like 15 hours a week or so, which I like sometimes more, sometimes less, (laughs) depending. But I always like backed into my business from a lifestyle perspective. If that makes sense. Yeah. You had your, your lifestyle, your, your values first. Yeah. Your your business goals second. Yeah. But you do talk about some tension between some tension in there because you are an ambitious person. I I actually think you're more ambitious than I am. I don't know that we've really talked about long-term goals, but I yeah. I think you have energy for growth and creation and Yeah. Not that I don't, but I do think you might have a little more than I do. How how do you how do you maintain your peace of mind with that tension? Yeah, that's why I got I I do like more deep spiritual type work where it's like making peace with the present moment. This is why I like I started studying mindfulness and meditation because I needed to calm my mind because on hyperdrive, right? Like I could think about all the things I want to create, but at the end of the day, I also know that that like there isn't better than here, you know, lots of coachy speak, but it's not. 
it's truly not. And so I think of it more like a video game. That that metaphor is very helpful to me. Like it's like a game I want to play. Business is something that's interesting to me. But it's also not everything and it doesn't it doesn't come first. It's it's second. And I have to do a lot of work to remember that. <laughs> yeah, because of the culture we live in there will always be a lot of external inputs telling you to go faster, do more, be bigger. Those inputs never see, they never cease. They never get quiet. So there's sort of a, like brushing your teeth and flossing nature to maintaining inner peace, remembering what I'm doing, why I'm doing it right now, that there are seasons to these things. And this is one season and there will be another season you're being honest and admitting that you're not completely solved on this topic. You have to do maintenance yeah. work. Yeah. I feel the same way. I have, I have to sort of, my coach calls it recontextualizing. I'm constantly mm -hmm. recontextualizing. I made the keynote presentation, a PowerPoint presentation with like six slides and they all have one big sentence on them. And I recontextualize with, this is what matters. Mm -hmm. I go back there because if not, I have this ability to spiral out of control with a million ideas and a bunch of anxiety about those ideas. And then, you know, thanks to therapy, coaching and meditation, I have a lot more physical sensitivity to how my body reacts mm -hmm. that anxiety. And it's a signal that tells me it's time to go meditate or go for a walk. It's time to look at your keynote slides because yeah. I don't think that work is ever done. No. Yeah. And that's why I keep paying for coaching. And someone was like, well, what, like, what, what do you think will happen if like your clients don't need you anymore? I'm like, it's not about needing. It's like, it's that continual, like the reason coaching stays valuable is because I'm still living my life. <laughs> it doesn't end. Right. And so we like brushing your teeth and flossing. I love that metaphor. It's not that I need it or like, I'm going to get go crazy without it. It's just like, I like how I live when I'm doing self-reflection I'm evaluating my values and deciding consciously to live my life instead of letting whoever dictate or sell me on an idea that I didn't even want. And I think that happens a lot where we get sold an idea without really like running it through our own filtering system of like, is that even what I want? Is that the lifestyle I even want? Is that the business I even want? Yeah. I love how you always come back to this idea of not needing it when we were at the we were at the thing in Arizona together and you were teaching so clearly the principle of not being in a place of need yeah it's so powerful you don't need your clients and it's just as powerful to say they don't need you which we touched on earlier but something i hear coaches saying sometimes is oh my client told me they couldn't have done it without me yeah and I will push back on that and say, yep. your clients can and will do it without you. That's yep. fine. You are fortunate enough to get to participate in their process in whatever yep. way is beneficial, beneficial to them. They can do it without you. They will do it without you. They don't need you. You don't need them. All of this mm -hmm. is coming from a place of desire and possibility, not lack, not need, not can't, none of it. Yep. Or codependency. Yeah. Or codependency. In fact, when I hear one of my clients say, couldn't have done it without you, I'm like, hmm, how did I let that, how did that come about? You know, it's almost like something, it's like a red flag. I'm like, okay, we need yeah. to talk about this. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, I'm like, what did I miss that I helped her see that she's the powerful creator in her life? She's doing this. 
That's I a great it. point. I think that's a really great point. I will tell you that the way I've learned, I've just practiced a, an instant reframe. If a client ever tells me I couldn't have done it without you, in my head, I just say, that's their way of saying thank you. Yes, that's a good reframe. Because I believe that. They're saying thank you. Yeah. And, and I can say, yeah. you're welcome, and still yeah. not believe that they, quote, couldn't have done it without. They could. I love that. I want to, in maybe our last few minutes here, just I just want to go on a little curiosity path with you because you explore a lot of different business models. You're an experimenter. Yeah. And I know you have stuff going on with uh, potential for groups. Yep. And I'm curious just to hear you free associate around the idea of one-on-one -on -one versus small groups or big groups, just whatever comes to your mind. I want to hear it. Yeah. So I've tried a lot and I think we can laugh about our, you know, past mistakes and failures. <laughs> One of the things I tried was like a low, very low ticket membership and didn't work out to put it, to make it simple. But I do think it's a different way of thinking. I think one of the things I'm experimenting with right now is selling my group program like I sell one on one, oh, which has yes. been very good for me. Say more I, about this. So like I have a consult to use that. Like I didn't call it that, but to use a word that everyone knows, like I have a consult on Monday with someone who's like, I'm considering joining the, the matrix. Can we have a call? And I'm like, yes, because that's like my intention is actually to like have a call with people mm. about the group. It's going to be slower and that's fine. I'm not going to do launches. I'm not going to do like a lot of things that people typically think of when they think of like a scaled program. I'm also capping my program so I won't take unlimited amount of people. When I hit 40, I close it. Why and are you really okay like with it? Why are you okay with going it going slower and why are you and why are you choosing not to do launches? I did launches and they work. Like that's the thing. I think that is interesting is like the psychology of marketing is very powerful. And so I got really interested in because marketing is just applied human behavior. And so I think marketing is fascinating. But also, like, you have to know, I, I heard this from Dan Kennedy. He says, you have to know which side of the cash register you're on. And that really blew my mind because I realized, like, we can be influenced by marketers to give them money, but we can also be on the cash register of getting people to give us money. But do you like that whole scenario? Do, you, do I like my reasons for marketing when you think of marketing, like deploying, like, urgency and scarcity and FOMO and all these powerful, powerful sometimes manipulative tactics, was I okay with that? Yeah. And my answer was no. And that was really, like, I'm actually in a, in a period of deep reflection on kind of, because like it's worked. I've made a lot of money doing things that I've learned from books and from mentors. But is that what resonates with me in my soul? And it didn't. And so I wanted to like immediately apply that into the matrix where it's like, if it's a good fit and it's going to actually benefit you, Great. I'm here when you're ready. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to open it and close it. I've done opening and closing it. So if you know me, and you're listening to this and you're like, but you did it. I'm like, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did do open and open and close. But I, I'm, I had to ask myself, why? And does this actually match my values? And that was a hard answer. So yeah, it's going to be slower. And I'm good with that because my business feels good right now. It feels good to me. I don't know how many different ways to say it, and it's okay for us to just keep repeating it, but having a business that feels good is winning. It is yeah. the finish line. 
Yeah. It doesn't mean we're done growing, experimenting, learning, expanding. It doesn't mean that it's the end of any of that. It's just the end of anxious striving and worry because my business feels good and that is the victory. Yeah. And then the tension that you experience isn't growth. It's how do I create more sufficiency? How do I create more calm? That's the tension that we feel. And it's different. I think it's an inward um, journey instead of like an outward, how can I grow my audience? How can I get more people journey? Yep. And I've always been on that side anyway, the more reflective, deeper thinking journey. Is there anything else you'd want to tell people whose, whose ear we happen to have today? That your mind is as good as anyone else's, <laughs> that you really can decide what, what your business is going to be like for you and that your ideas aren't wrong. You should try them. That's what you I should say. try them. You yeah. should try them. And if it means ignoring Mark Butler and Amber Smith, yep. then by all means, yep. go do your thing. And when it feels right, pay very close attention to that feeling. Yeah. Where should people, what should people go do right now to, to engage with you? They could hang out with me on Instagram at it's Amber Smith again. <laughs> ITS, Amber Smith. That's probably the best place for people to find me. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I respect you. I think you're doing amazing work in the world. Glad to have formed a friendship with you. And I appreciate you giving time to this, to this particular audience right now. Yeah. Uh, you got great things going on. I will be excited to hear that, hear about your continued success. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Okay, everybody, that's, that's another episode of The Beautiful Business, and we'll talk to you next time.